0: I'm Sharon McClellan, Founder and Managing Director of Kissing with Confidence. Welcome to 100 Makers. Here we talk to some outstanding rainmakers who share the three insights that enabled them to make their own type of rain. We have rainmakers, consummate relationship builders, pitchmakers, outstanding public speakers and teammakers, the people people. Enjoy. My name is Nikki DeNegri. I'm the Principal Consultant and Head of Coaching at Kissing with Confidence, and it is my great joy and privilege to be joined today by the one and only Russ Meister, or as you will be familiar with him, Russell Wardrop, our co-founder and chief executive. Russell's going to talk to us about being a pitchmaker, but not only is he a pitchmaker, He's a public speaker, he's a debater, he's a former architect, and he is one of the thrust engines behind Kissing With Confidence's success over the last 21 years. So Russell, you're going to share with us three key lessons or three key points about being a pitch maker. I'm going to hand over to you so you can tell us about the first one. What is it and why is it?
1: The first one is uh, is is preparation. It's as old as the hills, but uh, fail to prepare and prepare to fail. You have got to prepare. Your presentations, pitches, oratory, call it what you like, you're not good enough to wing it. Yeah. Um, and preparation is that word preparation, but it's also about practice. Mm-hmm. It's also about it's how you display your knowledge through preparation. So preparation is absolutely the first of the things I would say are essential if you're going to be good at it.
0: And Russell, have you ever seen it go horribly wrong when people have failed to prepare? And obviously, anonymously, what can you tell us about the outcomes of that?
1: Well, i have not. i have not only. i have not only seen it go horribly wrong. It's happened to me. And I, I give you. I offer you the best orator of the modern political age, um, Tony Blair, at the Women's Institute many years ago when he had the wrong presentation for the audience. He was speaking to the six o'clock news. So if you don't to the audience you've got in front of you, in other words, you've done the wrong preparation, you're going to be stuffed. And it might make it more practical and more visceral. I remember going to the Guinness Storehouse one evening, a presentation that was just the wrong presentation for the audience. And again, high preparation, but completely the wrong preparation for the audience. So for sure... Most of the time, when I see people failing at pitching or presenting a call, where you like, at one level, it's a failure of the right kind of preparation. Mm. In other words, the best expert can still fail in their presentation because they've got all this stuff in their head, all this knowledge in their head, trying to get to the front, but they've not ordered it effectively. They've not got it clear in their own minds, and it comes out in a in a in a jumble. Uh, they actually make their presentation for. You. Preparation.
0: So preparation is absolutely key. And I'm thinking it's not only preparing at home by practising in front of the mirror until you feel like John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever. You've also got to invite an audience into the room as part of that preparation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the actual John, John Travolta in front of a mirror bit, whatever blows your hair back, if that works for you, if it's in your head, if it's when you're at the gym finding the way to iterate and, and 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 hone that presentation to make it, if you like, ready to be presented on stage or behind the lectern. Absolutely, you have to do that at some point. But preparation goes all the way back to, well, who am I speaking to? Yeah. Who am I speaking to? Too many people don't know their audience. They speak to the audience they would like to have in front of them, not the one actually going to have in front of them. So that's where your preparation starts. Not with you, but... Who are the audience? What do they want? How do I want them to feel at the end? There's one aspect of preparation. And again, to be more prosaic than that, how have got? Because if you go over time, your audience is going to hate you. Yeah. What technology should I use? Is it my technology? Is it their technology? Is it shared technology? Should I use any technology? So all of those things are facets of preparation that, quite frankly, people sometimes miss out completely. And by the time we get to the John Traffold bit, and I mean on the stage, not in front of the mirror, they're a minute in and they're thinking, shit, I've got the wrong stuff here. And you can see it. You'll you'll, you'll see it. You'll see it with people you're thinking. And they might even be good presenters, but they simply are leaving their audience cold. Uh, So preparation contains um, many things that are about analysis, first of all, and then a bit of creative thinking.
0: Yeah. And obviously you're the one who does the humour, but I am reminded of your oft-quoted quip about Billy Connolly, which is empathy. You know, um, empathy is walking a mile in somebody else's shoes because then you've got their shoes and you're a mile away from them. But I'm thinking if only Tony Blair had A, had the Women's Institute phone number, I, I suspect he did, and B, just thought about those warm scones that were awaiting them at the end of his speech, he'd have done it a little bit differently.
1: He would have done, and I think what's really instructive about the Blair example is he really is, whether you like him or not, a very accomplished orator. But even he couldn't shift gear and come up with a completely new set of material once the audience started giving him the burp. Now, if you take another analogy in that way, it's the same with a comedian starts bombing, you know. They've got routine comedians. You know, I remember Fred McCauley saying to me once, what people don't understand, Russell, is it takes a year to prepare an hour of Mm stand-up. So completely off the cuff. And that lack of preparation um, stuffed him because he didn't have another sheet of paper under his uh, uh, the the one that he prepared with Alistair Campbell. And the funny thing was, you mentioned a bit of humour there with Billy Connolly. I think he tried a couple of bits of humour, you know, He was well past that stage by that point. And it was entirely down to preparation. And it is, again, always instructive. Someone who was really good at it fails. And that's certainly something that uh, I'm sure you and I have experienced. And every single speaker, there's another one, every single person who speaks for a living at some point has failed. And often that that failure is due to some lack earlier in the process that means it's not prepared effectively.
0: Fantastic. Okay, so yeah, I'm coming out in a cold sweat thinking about some of my previous failures, so we'll move on from that, Russell, and tell me about your second point. What is it and why? You've
1: got to start well. You've got to start well, and there really isn't any excuse for not knowing that at the beginning you're going to be more nervous every time. Guess what? So is your audience. They're going to be more nervous, a little bit trepidatious. For God's sake, don't start with humour. Don't crack that joke to try and Loosen everything off. You are not Billy Connolly or Peter Kay. Towards, at the beginning, you've got to come out the traps with that first couple of minutes because it's, it's a settler for the audience. It's a settler for you. They're thinking, ah, safe hands. And you're thinking, this is going all right. Rather than the tumbleweed moment when, again, you're not 100% sure that they're getting it and they're not 100% sure what you're trying to say. So spend a disproportionate amount of your time for the beginning and actually thinking, again, about the beginning of your presentation, not name, rank, and serial number, not a slide with your name on it, not something they've heard before. And if I might add to that, the same goes for the end. Have a great finish as well. Well, they've got to know the when to clap, haven't they? <laughs> those are, those are, they? Start well, start really well.
0: And what I'm struck by in in talking about starting well is it is not only thinking about what they need to hear it's also about how they need to feel reassured and calmed by you that thing about here's somebody who's credible and confident and I can sit back almost breathe a sigh of relief and be entertained and informed by them so the audience doesn't take responsibility for you rather than the other way
1: around. You're absolutely right. And those two words, so credibility and confidence. Now, this is why you don't start with humour, because even if you're funny, who wants a comedian accountancy or their law work if you're a professional services person? So for sure, use humour throughout the presentation further on but establish your credibility at the beginning with a good solid. Now, it might be a story. It might be something from left field. I'm all for being creative at the beginning. But it's something that roots the audience and thinks, yeah, shit what are you talking about? I'm liking this. And that confidence is, is a dynamic that goes between you and the audience you deliver confidence to them from your presentational style, from your body language, from your eye contact, from your voice. Now, all of that is going to be much, much better if you know that two-minute story off by heart. You would sound like Stewie from Family Guy speaking at 300 miles an hour and making no eye contact. Yeah. You've got a resonant voice. You own the stage or the lectern or whatever or the Zoom room, and the audience immediately settles down. And what they also do, if it's on the Zoom room, they come off the mobile phone checking their emails and they they hear something, oh, this, oh, oh, this sounds like it's going to be good. You have created that by keeping absolute control of that first two minutes, uh, nailing it in terms of delivery, because guess what? You've practised it a little bit more than you practised the rest of it. And again, the same goes for that minute at the end. Don't be Columbo, just one more thing, just one more thing, just one more thing absolutely crucial and again very very common mistakes people surprised by the first two minutes of their own presentations it's an amateur makes you an amateur
0: yeah, i've definitely seen that i'd like to say i've not done it i think i haven't and i'm sure that you haven't either but this has taken us into our third and final point would you like to tell us what it is and why
1: Well, actually, the third and final point is definitely take risks and that can happen at the beginning. And we'll maybe talk a little bit about that. But interesting your point there, Nicky, about, you know, um, you've seen it happening. Now, when you see it happening and people are not confident at the beginning, it's not, if you're not a public speaking coach, you don't actually immediately consciously think, oh, they're going to bomb. But there's just, you feel the tension in the air. You feel that slightly fraught sensation that it's not quite going the way that everybody wants now somebody like me i think oh yeah they have no idea what's coming next but actually that sense is so easy to fix just nearly two minutes and that does yeah, take my third my third thing is take risks all you get to a certain level of being a decent speaker by just being competent yeah decent voice, well structured tell them tell them and tell them again couple of little stories but the best communicators take risks. And there's that little hint of danger about them. Just that little hint of, I wonder what's going to happen next. Not that they're going to turn up in a you know, Ronald McDonald wig and big red shoes and, and, and pretend they're a clown. I just mean there's something about the way they present that just keeps you watching because you know that something might happen and take risks, force you.
0: And tell us about one of the risks that you've taken in pitchmaker mode.
1: There are there are there are plenty. There's one that Michael Fleming will remember when we were pitching to a magic circle law firm. And uh, the first risk we took, funnily enough, and I haven't prepared this, was that the, the Nietzsche Man was up, the flip chart Nietzsche man was up, which you can see behind which the, the, the podcast people won't so Nietzsche Man monster was up in a flip chart. So already we were different because we were using flip charts and was using powerpoint and then i had a book of 20th century speeches which was the text for the pitchmaker course for this law firm and i just threw it down the middle of the table and there were 20 like lawyers and hr people around the table and you know how how austere that environment is this was 15 years ago and we won the pitch right at that moment i know that enough people right at that moment decided we'll give them a go now to do that at the beginning of a presentation is a little bit out there to do it in that magic circle law firm environment where nobody else was doing it and you were already an outlier. That's what I mean by taking a risk. is a risk. You mentioned it with the Billy Connolly thing. It's an increasingly dangerous thing to do, but there's no question that it's the best way of making the emotional connection. And every good pitch maker has got... The ability to do humour, and that is always a risk because you're never guaranteed how it lands. So there you go. That's that's the humour, and then the the the, the magic circle, law pitch with the book down the table. Was
0: What I love about that one though is it's drawing the distinction between instinct and intuition. You know, when we act instinctively, we are literally just reacting because we've gone into fight, flight, or freeze mode. But when we have that intuition that you know. This needs to be different. You know, they need to feel that you are appropriately memorable and able to handle them. And who comes after that? That's when in the moment, you know, the stakes are high, but it's the right thing to do.
1: It's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that, the difference between instinct and intuition, because you're absolutely right. What the best communicators do is they are willing to take a risk. They are, there's no question. And you know it. You can You can even sense it at the beginning. If you've never seen the speaker before, you get a little bit of a sense Is here is somebody who's going to go for it a little bit. You just know it, yeah? And that does keep you listening. Now, sometimes it doesn't work. You've also got to forgive yourself if it doesn't. But back to the first point, you can only do that if you've done your preparation. In other words, you've got to know your stuff and you've got to know you can see that map in front of you. But what intuition allows you to do is that, how far can I take this? Yeah. I remember doing the Connolly Line in Glasgow, I was doing an hour in Glasgow, which I don't get to do very often. And you kind of know, because you're there with fairly Glaswegians, you take it a bit further and a bit further. And I still remember that night on Intuition thinking, oh, I've done, the, I've done the Connolly Line, I'll do another one now. I don't mean Connolly jokes, I mean, here's another story. Here's a story maybe I hadn't told for five years would be difficult to land somewhere else, but would land really well in my hometown. And funnily enough, there's another one in intuition. I remember speaking at St Andrews at a very posh business dinner. And I'm looking for, it was a a funny speech supposed to be, and I'm looking for an opening line. And they knew it was a Glaswegian. And I just stood up and said, Really nice to be here this evening, ladies and gents, but it's a hell of a walk from the station. Who knows St Andrews will know that Lucas Station is like five miles from St Andrews. And it's just like a Glaswegian to walk the five miles rather than pay the taxi. (laughs) Intuitively, that was opening with humour, which was a dangerous thing to do, but I knew they would love it. I knew the posh audience from St Andrews would love the Glasgow guy delivering... It's a hell of a walk from this. It's a backhanded compliment to them, and I think that kind of that kind of intuition allows you to push the envelope but in any profession. And, you know, chefs, um, sports people, whatever. It's almost like playing jazz. Yeah, that risk. How far will I push it? How far can I push it? But of course, you've got to know not to push it too far because you take it too far, you can you can you can you can you can pop the bubble if you like
0: yeah. indeed so on that note unfortunately that is all we've got time for today i'd love to just dis- take this discussion farther russell but thank you so much for your insights into what makes a pitch maker sell at the end of the day please do tune in if you're listening to this to more of our rain truffle makers podcasts You've been listening to Russell Wardrop, co-founder and chief executive of Kissing with Confidence. And I'm Nikki DeNegri, principal consultant and head of coaching. And you'll be hearing more from us soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to 100 Makers. If you'd like to recommend a maker, let me know. Perhaps it's you.